Hello and welcome to Blades Pod. My name is Ben. It is Thursday, 19th of December. It's a little later than usual programming when it comes to this podcast. So apologies for the delay. Um, you have probably seen on Twitter or wherever because um, I posted about it. But the reason for the delay is the arrival of uh, of Baby Blades Pod this weekend, which has been uh, yes quite a, quite a, an upheaval, I suppose, and has obviously taken quite a bit of my time and mental energy. Um, I do just want to say thank you so much for all, all the kind messages that I received on on Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, my wife and I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a very uh, a very nice thing to see, um, kind of welcoming uh, welcoming uh, baby Bladespot into the world, I suppose. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully see her turning out for Sheffield United women in uh, in twenty years or so. That's that's very much um, very much the path I'm going to try and uh, gently nudge her down. I think um, Andrew is also unavailable this week. Uh, I obviously. Did, well, perhaps not obviously, but I did not see the Villa game at all, seeing as, uh, yes, she arrived basically at 4pm on Saturday. Um, in fact, she was born just before John Fleck gave us the lead, almost to the minute, so I like to think that she is already doing her bit for the team that she is absolutely going to be supporting and attending. Um, yeah, so... I caught up a little bit on Villa. Um, I can't obviously talk about it in in very much detail at all, so I will just give a few, very few, uh, very quick few thoughts, and then I'm talking to Liam Tharm, who is a Brighton fan of Albion Analytics Twitter fame, uh, to give us some insight into this weekend's match. But yeah, Aston Villa, what a brilliant win! It sounds, and and from what I saw, a bit of a bit of a drab first half, but then. Absolutely turned it on in the second half, and I've got to say, sat in um, sat in a hospital ward, uh, watching those highlights at three a.m. or whatever it was, was uh, yeah, a nice, nice, nice way to kind of pass the time, I suppose. Um, the goals that we scored, absolutely magnificent. The you know the back heel from Basham, I think he's probably going to go down in in folklore along with his uh, his magnificent Basham Bauer pirouette a few years ago, and obviously the Basham's arriving moment. Just just a brilliant bit of football. Uh, Fleck getting two more goals, take him to four. Another assist for Lundstrom. A second goal as well. I mean, just the the rotation of players. It looked it looked like something that Barcelona in their sort of heyday absolute peak would have would have pulled off with players kind of flicking it to each other making runs and then McGoldrick with the uh, the cheeky overhead flick and Fleck finishing yet again just just absolutely brilliant to see and yeah I mean one thing that really did jump out at me um, was Norwood's involvement in those goals and, and in those attacks in fact I mean I think if you just watch the sort of two minute highlights everything good United did basically came from a Norwood pass so yeah if you ever want the highlight reel of like what does Norwood do just basically go and watch the highlights for that game and I think it's all there for you um, I didn't realise this until much much later but uh, Jack Grealish missing a penalty is a kind of a nice finishing touch to that 2-0 win so there we go 25 points from 17 games amazing 15 from that magical 40 point mark currently 10 points plus a plus 23 goal differential on the team in 18th it's looking very, very good, and I would have thought even the pessimists among us are starting to think less about will we stay up and more about how high might we finish. Not bad, eh? Pretty good um, Pretty good as we head into uh, the, quote, hectic, busy Christmas period. Starting with Brighton on Saturday and following up with Watford at home on Boxing Day. So, 
Yeah, that's uh, that was my very quick thoughts on Aston Villa. I'm going to bring in Liam now, and we're going to talk about Brighton, uh, how they've established themselves in the Premier League, uh, Potter coming in and replacing Houghton and the kind of transformation there, what he makes of United so far this season, and some strengths and weaknesses of that team that we should potentially look to exploit and indeed worry about this weekend. So, yeah, that's coming up. Um, thanks for listening. I will be back uh, next week to talk about the the Brighton game. Uh, and then I think Andrew will be back after the Watford game as well. So very much looking forward to that. Thanks, as always, for listening, for, for being patient with um, a slightly delayed podcast. And, uh, yeah, here we go. I will speak to you next week. Thanks very much. Okay, I'm very pleased to be joined now by Liam Thorne, the man behind Albion Analytics. He is, of course, a Brighton and Hove Albion fan. Very generously agreed to give up some of his time to talk to me and to talk to us, I suppose, about Brighton and the upcoming game this weekend with Sheffield United. Liam, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Ben. Uh, pleasure to be on here. Um, yeah, really looking forward to this weekend's game. Two um, sort of sides taking the Premier League a bit by storm this season in terms of side of play. So, yeah, should be should be an excellent watch this weekend. Definitely. I think... Um... Yeah, I think uh, Wilder and Potter probably two of the, I guess, I don't know if hottest properties in management is quite right, but certainly two of the rising stars in... Yeah, definitely in, the emergent ones, certainly. Absolutely. Um, so before we get to that, I just want to quickly cover off, I guess, a little bit of a, um, a pottered history, I suppose, of um, how Brighton have established themselves in the Premier League. Obviously, with Sheffield United, this is our first season back at this level for 12 years, and you know, we're very much um, very much coming into the season looking at teams like Burnley and Bournemouth who, you know, have come up from um come up from the championship and, and really established themselves without you know, without spending ridiculous amounts of money. I suppose Bournemouth have to an extent, but they're, they're very much very much the model for us to follow. Um Brighton promoted into the Premier League for the twenty seventeen eighteen season for the the first time in their history at this level, and uh, yeah, they're still here. And uh, as this season is showing, you know they're, they're going to be here for a little while yet as well. So, yeah, what, what's kind of been the uh, the key that you would say to uh, uh, sustaining a place in the Premier League, having uh, having earned it? I think a lot of that probably comes down to Chris Hewton. Um I saw earlier on today that I think someone released their sort of 10 worst managers in Premier League for this decade and Hewton was in there. Wow. I thought that was a bit harsh on him. Um, he's built a really, real solid foundation. Obviously a man who, um, a former defender himself, um, perhaps sort of had a stigma surrounding him of defensive anti-football. But it's, it's what we needed, to be honest with you, for two years to, to try and frustrate sides, um, get the points that we needed, build that solid foundation. Um, we have changed our style drastically, but Potter's only been able to come in and work the wonders that he has done in terms of, in terms of aesthetics um, and what we want to do because of that base that's been put in place. So since we've come up, um, the, the teams that came up sort of around us and stuff, um, the likes of Fulham that came up after us, uh, teams have gone down, Cardiff as well, um, so, you know, we've, we've done well to sort of, as you say, stick around. Um, second season syndrome, definitely look like it might have been a thing last season, uh, but we sort of made our way out of that. So definitely sort of the defensive um, structure that, that we came into this league with. The likes of Lewis Duncan and stuff, Matt Ryan, who are still sort of part of the backbone, really, you'd say, of our team. So, yeah, I think that defensive structure is something you can never lose as a Premier League side in the positions that we, we sort of are. And of course, Sheffield United has shown that this season because I know you're not high scorers in terms of um, possession, but you, you're doing wonders on the counter-attack. So for me, defensive structure is what it's all about. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a great base for us this season, for sure. Is, is the, um, I mean, you mentioned a few names there, uh, Dunk, for example. Is, um, is the majority of the team from a couple of years ago still in place? I mean, there's a lot of, 
Uh, I, I guess when Brighton got promoted to the Premier League, I, I think we, we were in League One at the time, so I, I was paying very little attention to the Championship. So kind of my first exposure to this current iteration of Brighton was obviously when they were in the Premier League. So there was a lot of names there that I didn't know at the time, you know, uh, Gross, Proper, Bruno, those kinds of names, um, who obviously stuck around for a few years. But is the is the majority of that team still together? Has it been completely overhauled or sort of being phased out? It's very much a phase-out sort of scenario. I think there's, there's a lot of it in transition, but there's certain players who um, were the staple of sort of Hewton sides that are still the staple of um, Potter sides now. So Dale Stevens, the, the, probably the biggest Marmite player who um, <laughs> everyone that I know from a statistical perspective rates him highly, but there's there's people in the stands on a Saturday who are shouting at him for making um, a backwards pass to recycle possession. Um, so Stevens would be one of them. Pascal Gross, um, I, I make countless um, sort of arguments for being our, our best player by by a mile especially from a stats perspective obviously mm. 15 goals in his his first season uh, sorry 15 goal involvements uh, I think it was 7 goals and, and 8 assists um, came in yeah for 3 million pounds and, and worked wonders Glenn Murray probably the big one that's been cut out more this season um Newman Pye's obviously come in and he started to really find his feet now through in his last three. So Murray's probably the biggest one that sort of um, felt the effects of, of possible having got 25 in his last um, two seasons combined. Mm. Perhaps a bit hard done by, but it, it shows he's coming in with emphasis on youth um, and a bit more of a, a dynamic um, sort of pacey front line that he's looking for. But no, there's still players that stick around. Um, Duncan Ryan uh, are two of, the, two of the big ones as well. In that regard, of course, Bruno is sadly now retired. Yeah, But no, it's definitely a transition process that's ongoing. Bruno bringing a great beard to the Premier League. I'm always uh, always a fan of that. Um, I think I saw earlier actually. Gross is like one of the highest chances created per night. In I think outside, he's I, the outside the big six. He's the top player by a long way. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was pretty mad. I, I didn't. Know, I actually did not know he was that kind of player. I've unfortunately not seen that much of Brighton this season. But yeah, pretty uh, pretty darn impressive. Um, just uh, flicking forward then to the the end of the Chris Hewton uh, years, if you like, which obviously came right at the end of last season. Um, as an outsider, this I guess it was surprising, but at the same time, uh, for me personally, it, it made sense. Not in a um, I, I don't think Hewton's a good manager kind of way. Just I, I guess um, it kind of felt like uh, not that Brighton were lucky to stay up last season, but might have got relegated in other seasons given very low goal-scoring numbers. Uh, I think, was it like 34 goals last year or something like that? Uh, 36, yeah, it was something around that. It it wasn't high at all. Yeah, because they were sort of looking at those kind of benchmarks as I came into this season thinking, how many goals do we feasibly need Mm -hmm. to score to stay up, etc. So, yeah, it felt felt from my point of view, again, as a total outsider, that it was probably a move that um, made sense from a, a cold, like, analytical point of view I suppose that the time was right what do do you feel I mean obviously in hindsight it looks like a fantastic decision but if you can cast your mind back to the summer what was your immediate reaction I suppose to him being asked to leave the club so from an analytical perspective um, I completely agree with you now that's more in hindsight he had three wins in his final 23 games as, as Brighton manager and was in a real sort of um, strange scenario whereby we were faltering in the league but managed to sort of force our way to an FA Cup semi-final mm. uh, which which may have masked um, the cracks as, as people want to claim but um, having gone to Wembley that day and enjoyed the entire experience and when we, we beat Mill on penalties in, in the quarterfinals um, you know there's there's not a bad word you can say about him from, from that respect our first trip to Wembley since I believe 1983 so again uncharted territory um, at the time I, w- I was devastated um, to be honest with you as you say it was 
somewhat marginal um, our survival but he'd done his job once again in keeping mm. us up um, we'd done double over Palace as well last season um, our biggest rivals which we hadn't done for years um, again an, another sort of sort of outside benefit that if you just said to us at the start of the season look you'll stay up you'll get to an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley um, and you'll do the double over Palace everyone would have bitten your hand off for it mm. but it was the fact that we started so well in the top half um, and to sort of end the season in such a poor vein of form perhaps when people were, were sort of um, sort of asking that departure um, a little bit more so I, I was mainly disappointed because he didn't really get much well I say he didn't get much of he didn't get a send off at all mm. so as you spoke about Bruno already uh, on the final day of the season against City um, when obviously we went one nil up and, and lost the game as Liverpool thought they had the title um, that that was Bruno's last game everyone was aware of that no one knew it was Hutton's and it was only the day after on the Monday that we found out um, so from that perspective I would have liked to see him receive a send-off um, and I, I can understand now the, the reason sort of for desiring that transition to progress further because he, he's not going to take you to, to the, the sort of dizzy heights of Europa League and stuff but he will sort of make that foundation as we've said to allow someone like Potter to come in so yeah perhaps perhaps the send-off would have been nice and, and deserved for a man that sort of achieved in numerous ways uncharted territory for the club um, but in hindsight yes it's perhaps a decision that did need to occur uh, which wasn't something I said when it did happen but now looking back yeah it was something that perhaps needed to happen mm. Is there anything to um, I'm sure I've read articles on this that uh, Brighton I think at the start of last season um, signed quite a few um Attack-minded, uh, very analytical, friendly players. Um, uh, I think Trossard was one, maybe, unless he's been there a little bit longer. That, that was this summer, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so Brighton kind of went all in on these uh, attacking players. And then, from what I could see or what I've read, Hewton either did not play them or played mm-hmm. in a, uh, a system that did not suit those signings whatsoever. So, it, it, is that a fair summary? And if so, why do you think that occurred in terms of... Uh, having a bit of a disconnect, I suppose, between the players that were brought in and the way that they were used. Now, this is an excellent question because I think the player you're referring to is Ali Reza Yehambash, um, the, thank the you Iranian. For that one for me. That, that, that's okay. <laughs> uh, the Iranian we signed uh, from AZ Alkmaar, I think, for eighteen million pounds. Um, as you say, someone who analytically friendly, uh, top scorer in um, the Eredivisie, which for a wide player is, is in any league is, is you know pretty sensational. Mm. Um, Arguments, yes, he's perhaps brought in the wrong sort of players to bring in as we were a side that, you know, we sort of didn't like Sheffield United have this season, not look to sort of keep a lot of the ball. We, we looked to sort of try and dominate our games by putting our, our banks of, of four um, behind the ball, between the ball and the goal. So th- there is an argument that he perhaps brought in the wrong side of players, but I think at the same time there's an argument for players to adapt because any player coming into the Premier League for any sort of bottom half side, it's going to have to be realistic and go there's a good chance I'm not going to see a lot of the ball in this game. My priorities might lie in the, in the defensive regards. Um, and people were sort of discussing and playing sort of auxiliary wing-backs, if you like, the sort of a second wing-back um, in, in front of the full-back, which, um, which served a purpose uh, the way that we played with our defensive structure. And we were able to frustrate teams. We had one point where uh, we won three games, one on the bounce, um, mm. and we were excellent defensively. Obviously, to go 270 minutes in the Premier League without conceding is, is an incredible feat, let alone to sort of win all three games. Um, so possibly the players on paper didn't mirror up to the system, but I think there's a lot of argument for players need to adapt as well um, in any format because if you're going from the, the top reaches, if you like, of the Eredivisie, um, seeing a lot of the ball, you go into a Premier League side, unless you're going to a top six side, your majority of your role may well be defensive. And I think perhaps players fail to adapt just as much as, as the signings might not have been perfectly suited to them. But then we saw a lot of players that we sort of brought in. If you, if you look at the gross sort of player, um, who was brought in 
um, from a similar side as well. Um, someone who came from Ingolstadt who got relegated. So, uh, as you say, um, sort of the analytical friendly ones, maybe not maybe not done so well um, under Hutton, perhaps doing a bit better um, this season under Potter. But then he's loaned out a few as well. So, and Dona and Lockadea, who were brought in, um, mm. both going out on loan, and Ali Rezi Hambash uh, is rumoured to sort of be joining them in, in January. Hmm, okay. Well, yeah, that, that does lead us nicely into this um, the transition and transformation under uh, under Potter, I suppose. Who, you know, I think did um, did a very admirable job with Swansea last season. Uh, in you know, kind of in hindsight, they they probably had maybe slightly better players than some people remember. Obviously, with uh, some people thought initially, I suppose, with yes. Daniel James, obviously uh, lighting it up for Man United, uh, Ollie McBurney moving to us for um, mm-hmm. twenty million, etc. Um, but he had a lot of players sold from under him at the start of that season after the relegation from the Premier League and did a really good job. I think made them into a, a very decent Championship team with yeah, not not much uh, resource at his disposal. So. What how what is he uh, what has he kind of done to change Brighton from I guess a, an effective defensive machine to yes a team that is now creating a lot of chances winning a lot of games and yeah it sat very very nicely in the table what's what's kind of changed now it's interesting you say this because there's a lot of argument going on especially uh, in in the wonderful world of Twitter um, <laughs> as to the actual effectiveness of this so what he's done is completely flipped sort of our style of play he's gone. From doing the opposite of what Hutton did of, of being a defensive minor manager to being sort of possession dominated manager. And there's a great graphic Skype it up during the game when we drew with Palace on Monday night. Um, our, our possession last season, uh, the average was 41%, uh, spiked up to 54% uh, this season. Passes completed, similar, uh, 278 last season to 414 um, this season. Pass accuracy has gone up as well as you might expect us playing sort of uh, a less proportionate amount of long balls with a bit more focus on short style of play. 82% pass accuracy this season, which is a 7% increase from last season. And 10-plus pass sequences, uh, we make 11 on average this game with just under 6 last season. So he's completely sort of uh, tried to transform that style of play, which I'd argue in the first two-thirds of the pitch has been really, really good. Um, our build-up play, with the exception of a couple of instances where we lost the ball, uh, we've tried to sort of utilise patterns of play to sort of play through presses, which we did get picked apart a bit by Wolves. Um, I'm not sure if anyone watched it. Uh, on, on Sky when Davy Proper sort of misplaced the pass um, a pattern that we'd use really well to sort of switch play uh, our build up play looks really aesthetic uh, a lot of the good positional rotation comes in uh, and it's really effective with sort of the first two thirds of play although we've perhaps been lacking that play within the final third uh, a, a few games we had a period of time where we were sort of creating chances looking from an expected goals perspective uh, mm. we weren't converting um, which is what it is that can't necessarily be a reflection uh, of the style of play so he's made our build-up play excellent um, and sort of not unlocked is the wrong word, but sort of shown that you can utilise players like of Pascal Gross, who's one of the top expected assists in the league, I believe. Uh, we've already mentioned his, his chances created. Um, but points-wise, we're very similar to as we were last season. So the argument of, OK, this is great, but from a results perspective, the one thing we're measured on, you know, we want to see this transition occur in that sense too. Um, which is perhaps his biggest downfall. A lot of people saying the results will come. From an expected points perspective, I don't think we're too far off where we should be. Mm. Um, but then I think some people are perhaps, again, setting their expectations too high with Potter's sort of uh, Europa League roots with, with Osterson. So they're sort of saying, oh, we should be pushing for Europe when I think I'm perhaps being a bit more realistic in saying, mm. look, survival is still that number one aim. If we can tick that off early doors and we push towards Europa League, so be it. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, yeah. Completely changed the, the build-up play, um, but a lot of goals we're still scoring from similar sort of scenarios. Uh, a lot of set-piece goals we're scoring now. We sort of waited about eight game weeks to get one, and they've sort of all come since then. 
Um, so definitely a set piece set that we maintain. Um, but yeah, he's, he's sort of transformed the build-up play aspect of it a bit more intricate. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm just looking now. The, the attacking uh, effectiveness has just gone... You know, after half a season, has really gone through the roof. I mean, Brighton last season, nineteen uh, for expected goals, and this season they are currently sitting in seventh, I believe. Yeah, which just is... shows sort of the, the transformation of we went from sort of quite a clinical side, expected goals perspective, a lot down to Glenn Murray as well. Mm. Um, he had a twenty-four percent uh, conversion rate last season, so scoring one in four shots is ridiculously good. That was yes. the best for any English striker in the Prem. So people talk about Harry Kane being clinical, and I'm saying to them. On paper, Glenn Murray is statistically uh, a more clinical finisher. If you want to use that as a term, they're saying, yeah, but Carrie Kane gets 30 goals a season because he takes a lot more shots. And it's the same style with Neil Mapai this season. Uh, the second most shots in the league, I believe. I think that's changed now when I last looked. Wow. Um, just just behind idea. Rashford. Yeah, so he's, he's quite a high volume player. He's someone I liken to Wilfred Sahara in that mm-hmm. sense as well. Uh, perhaps one of the most hated players from a Brighton standpoint, but a player who's a high volume player um, and typically quite low output. So he will score you goals. Um, will win you points because of that but perhaps takes a lot of shots and a lot of opportunity which having gone from a Glenn Murray who's getting one and four to, to go to that is perhaps a bit more frustrating seeing chances being missed but uh, as I've said that and sort of you know been a bit critical of him this season he's then gone and got three goals in his last three so he's yeah. starting to prove me wrong which which is absolutely excellent yeah having shots is uh, is often a good idea if as long as they're not from like yes exactly places um so Looking at the blades, then what uh, what have you made of Sheffield United so far this season? What was you were you uh, and don't worry, I will not be insulted by this. Were you very similar to a lot of people in thinking they're going to be in the bottom three this season, potentially right at the bottom? And uh, yeah, if if so, what uh, what have you made of us? Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't at all because I'd watched a bit of you in the Championship, um, particularly to sort of observe Ollie Norwood uh, mm. as sort of that that synergy link between sort of Brighton and Sheffield United. And I was really sort of surprised in terms of the ignorance coming from some pundits over the summer of you'd been written off in some ways that we were as well when we first came into Premier League that completely written off before you'd even kicked a ball of saying that they've got no chance. Um, and I know that Bramwell Lane somewhere where you've always made a difficult place to go. Um, it's always been sort of when you've watched, whenever I've watched you on, on TV and stuff, um, we'll hopefully be going when we play uh, the reverse fixture uh, in February, I believe. Um, always somewhere where you, you seem to put on a good show your fans really get behind the players um, and I don't know what your record is like there but I imagine it's very very good um, and Wilder is someone who's I'm not sure how long he's been with Blades for um, but I know he's been there for a period of time in a similar way to what Hewton was before we came up mm. it wasn't a case of a new manager coming in It's he's worked and drilled a lot of these players for a long long time um, and has got his ideas and his philosophy if you like already in place and coming into the Premier League was just a case of okay how quickly can he now get across the demands of the Premier League? And it, it wasn't a case of, look, is this going to play like a Chris Wilder team? Because for me, you already had that identity in place. Mm. As I, I know you struggled to get out of League One for a while, but once you did, it was sort of like, okay, the, the only way is up from here. So um, for me, it was a case of much like when we went up, um, was how well can you do? Um, I was, it wasn't really like a case of, will, will you struggle to stay up? Because I knew that sort of with Newcastle losing some key players, um, I, I raised a few questions about... Norwich's uh, philosophy, whether that would apply to the Premier League and sort of the ways they try and play. Mm. The fact that Saints um, are probably pushing again relegation this season. Um, I said that there are quite a few teams in and around. I said it's naive to write anyone off, but in particular, Blades with sort of the threats that they possess. And when you brought in the likes of 
um, Oli McBurney, as you mentioned, um, and Lisa Moussey now, who's got one of the best uh, goal involvement per 90s um, <laughs> off the bench, which is ridiculous. But yeah, um, I, I've really been impressed watching the season and I've always liked seeing sort of teams prove pundits wrong, um, especially from an underdog perspective. So that's been excellent to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the sort of raw, uh, the raw fact of how well we've done is, is enjoyable, but there is that that little su- extra sweetener of uh, proving a few people wrong is ju- just made it that extra, well, extra sweet, I suppose. Um, I'm glad you brought up Ollie Norwood, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I I just can't believe that we were able to sign him for so little money. Um, yeah, and, and the the immediate impact he had on our team. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we had a, a sort of uh, a playmaking midfielder, Paul Coots, who uh, was integral to our promotion from the champ- uh, yes. excuse me, from League One. Uh, and and uh, basically our start to the first season of the Championship at the top of the league. But then he unfortunately broke his leg and we were unable to replace him. We tried with a couple of players um, and we just couldn't get anyone that basically did the job uh, anywhere near the standard that he was able to do. And yeah, our season, you know, there were other factors as well, but our season did sort of fall apart a bit after that. We signed Norwood on the, I believe, the loan deadline um, the mm-hmm. following season. And the impact was immediate. It was, you know, there was no transition period of like this guy needs to get up to speed in how we play. It was just, oh my goodness, this guy is fantastic. He is incredible at passing. He's, you know, surprisingly good defensively. Set pieces are unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I kind of know the story, I guess, of it just not working out at Brighton, but. I mean, do you look at that as like one that maybe got away, or was it just a sort of a right, right move at the right time for both parties kind of thing? In hindsight, of course, it's one that got away. But as you say, he never really sort of broke in um, to, to the side that we had. Um, partly because when we came up, we, we had a real, we sort of played a four four two. We had a real good sort of pivot in midfield. Mm. Dale Stevens is still there now uh, with Buram Kyle alongside him. A really sort of good sort of dynamic partnership. As um, Stevens is more of a ball player, Kyle more of a ball winner. And they sort of, you know, um, complemented each other in terms of their, their sort of styles of play. So Norwood, 100%, uh, he's the only player that I, I can think of that's had three back-to-back promotions. So he went up with us um, in 16-17. Mm. Um, he then went up with Fulham uh, via the playoffs uh, the season after that. And I've got mates who are Fulham fans who, who speak very highly um, of him. And of course, then went up with you um, as sort, sort of a hat-trick, if you like. Um, so it sort of seemed like if he was to go back to the Championship, we, you know, it just seems to be that, that ingredient um, to, to get you promotion. I know there was one point as well this season where I don't think he still is, but he was the top long passer in terms of accurate long balls per 90 uh, in Europe, I believe. In or Europe? He was up oh, there. He was in the yes, Premier League. Yeah. Um, it, I think it was in Europe. I, I could be wrong. And I might get shot down if, if not. But yeah, he's definitely other in terms of the Premier League. Um, so his long ball playing ability, I've, I've watched clips of it. Is, is, it's beautiful to watch him sort of just spraying these 40, 50 yard diagonals out, out to the wide, which obviously complements your system very well. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people discuss short overlapping centre backs, so I won't I won't waste any time talking about those. But the fact that you create all these sort of overloads in in central and wide areas to have someone with that ability, you know, to sort of find those um, those overloads um, in those wide spaces is something that sort of slots into your system perfectly. So as you mentioned, they're not being a transition period. I'm, I'm not surprised that there's sort of um, a lack of that as he sort of seems to seems to sort of um, fit into your system mm. ideally. To be honest. Definitely. No, I mean, uh, the sort of best illustration of it is probably like the very short highlights of our, our game from Villa this weekend because uh, 
basically every attack that that makes it into those highlights starts with a Norwood sort of first time ping. Basically, they're switching it one side to the other, or just you know clipping a perfect pass down the line or down down the wing. That kind of thing is yeah, it's, it's, it's been a one of the best signings that, that I can remember for us in in my time watching United. And it's you know it kind of fits the bill of um, players getting a chance with us that maybe they didn't get other clubs. Obviously, it's a you know his first proper crack at the Premier League. Really, I think it might even have been his first. Well, I don't know. Maybe he did play a few games for uh, Brighton or Fulham in the Premier League. I'm not I sure can't actually. remember if he did for us. He definitely maybe didn't not. for Fulham because he was on loan. Um, I, I honestly can't remember if he did for us. He, yeah, he may well have played a few minutes, but by no means was ever like sort of a, a key player or a regular. Um, which, looking back, is, is perhaps someone. I mean, how old is he now? I've never known how old he is. I think he's twenty-eight, so he's he's a few years younger than Dale Stevens. So yeah, quite possibly someone who who could have been. Um, who could have been a replacement for, for Dale Stevens, um, but an excellent player, um, but a joy to watch as well. And there's an excellent video of him when we were promoted, um, all the fans going back from Falmouth, where the ground is in Brighton, back into Brighton Centre, um, into into the train station. Uh, and he's on one of the trains with some of the fans, with Sam Baldock and a couple of other players, and they're just being carried through um, above people um, on the train. <laughs> is, is excellent. There's a photo, I think, um, I've seen on Twitter of, of someone literally giving him uh, a piggyback uh, in, in the train station uh, which was fantastic Nice Sam Baldock obviously the uh, brother of uh, right wing back George of Georgie exactly yes who <laughs> look I, I know brothers tend to look alike but they look ridiculously similar yes. um, and I can't remember what stat I was it was that I saw um, the other day but George Baldock it might have been um, I can't remember who you most recently played but his involvement going forward is ridiculous he's got one mm. of like, the highest touch frequencies in the final third or in the opposition box this season um, he looks ridiculous good for someone who I believe was he MK Dons previously was, was someone, yeah, for someone that I thought thousand. had a bit of a career that appeared to sort of be about to stagnate mm. um, has he sort of come out of nowhere or is this, this something that you were expecting to happen no he's, he's improved hugely um, yeah he was uh, he was signed last season uh, is that right I believe that's right yeah, two seasons ago. Oh, flipping out. How do I not know this? This is it. You can tell I've just had a, a newborn, can't you? <laughs> You're going to get slaughtered now. You're going to get absolutely yeah. slaughtered for that. <laughs> I want to get my facts right, and if I have to Google it, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, he signed in the summer of 2017. So, yes, he signed in our first season of the Championship. Uh, defensively, always excellent. Um, great athlete. Very rare. He was one of the least dribble pass players uh, at least defenders I should say in the uh, in the championship oh wow question marks about his attacking output our other our other wing back um, put up great numbers but weirdly didn't get any assists and hardly scored any goals despite creating a lot of chances basically it was it was bad finishing on the part of the strikers yes yeah Um, Baldock did not he he did not contribute his final ball was not good at all and we had another right wing back Kieran Freeman who whenever he played not as good defensively but was a major goal threat uh, created a lot of chances as well so there was some, yeah, umming and ahhing uh, as recently as 12 months ago, really, as to who was our, our best right wing back. But the, the step up that he has made this season is is astonishing. I mean, you mentioned that, yeah, the goal involvements and kind of, you know, penalty box entries and that kind of thing. He's, he's just turned it on uh, to a massive degree, which is... It's something that we have seen from a lot of players with Wilder. You know, the new signings kind of come in and uh, a season where they they look quite good, and you're like, yeah, I, you know, he, he was worth a place in this team. And then suddenly, twelve months later, you're like, oh, he's suddenly, you know, so much better than he was, and he's fully deserving of playing in the top flight. So yeah, I think uh, Baldock's the one who's taken the probably 
him and John Lundstrom the two that have taken the biggest individual steps forward this season. So yeah, good uh, good to see and a good, another uh, semi Brighton connection there. I yes, yeah, there's there's quite a few. Um, I think Sam played a few, he played a few minutes for us um, in the Premier League. The only game I can recall him playing is um, West Brom away in twenty. I think it was early twenty eighteen. Uh, they hadn't won in about fifteen games. West Brom. This is when they they brought in Pardew, and this was their only win under Pardew before he got sacked. They beat us two 0 because they scored two goals from set pieces. I think Ahmed Higatsi, um oh, and yeah. Craig Dawson scored that day, and that was that was a horrific trip up to um, the Hawthorns. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't wasn't worth the journey. <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't sound good to be no. honest. All right, Liam, let's uh, let's let's wrap this up just quickly with. Um... I mean, we've talked about Brighton's, uh, or I should say you have talked about Brighton's style of play uh, a little bit at length there. Um, what would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of the team as it stands that uh, I guess United should be worried about and potentially looking to exploit this weekend? Um, probably our biggest strengths, definitely set pieces. We still seem to pose a massive threat from those. Uh, sort of a bit of a routine we look to use is clustering our centre-backs if you like in one sort of area mm. um, and they seem to sort of make those splitting runs where a couple of them will, will go completely no, like away from the ball to sort of leave um, that target player usually Lewis Dunk sort of 1v1 against, against their man um, so set pieces definitely and anything sort of from crosses as they showed on Monday uh, Trossard sort of fizzing a ball in for pass or goes to flick it onto Neil Mapai um, from a crossing perspective we've been excellent but that's again down to sort of Trossard um, and Gross's threat Perhaps our biggest weaknesses uh, where you can exploit us would be we've looked absolutely horrific, um, and I mean horrific, in defensive transition this year. So we'll, as soon as we lose that ball, we seriously look in threat of conceding, which is a result, if you like, of the sort of system we're trying to play now, of a side that's sort of um, liking positional rotation and a bit of fluidity that when we lose that ball, we've got no defensive structure whatsoever. And quite often we're sort of left with big pockets of space, um, which have the benefits, of course, of when we attack, we're able to create overloads in certain areas, uh, which would be necessary, of course, to try and um, pick apart a defensive structure as good as someone like Sheffield United's. Um, but you could really hurt us in, in defensive transition. But I'm also aware that apparently Norma Pye scores a lot against Sheffield United, or <laughs> they just they just don't like him, um, which I was not aware of. Um, but, you know, it perhaps can be a worse time for you to play him currently, uh, so far in his Brighton career, with obviously having three and three. Um, weirdly, those three goals, none of which came with his stronger foot, two with his left foot um, and one with his head. So, yeah, it could quite possibly be a threat. And also the fact that Pascal Gross, I covered in a previous podcast, um, seems to score the majority of his goals against sides called United. So always scores against Man United, apparently. Um, similar with West Ham. So he may well may well find the net this weekend. <laughs> I love that. That's a great bit of insight. Yeah, Mo- Mopai is a funny one. Um, he does score against us almost every game, but then... Uh, certainly, certainly for Brentford in the Championship, he was he was just a very very good finisher. So it's like, well, you know, what do you expect? It's probably like the people that always say Billy Sharp always scores against us. Well, he always scores against everyone. Um, yeah, Billy Sharp's quality. Love, love yes, that absolutely. Um, yeah, with Mopai, there was he was the subject of a lot of uh, summer speculation that we were going to sign him. Uh, officially, there was no uh, no actual offers made. And I think a lot of people sort of see it as uh, we, we went for McBurney instead, despite the fact they're very different forwards. Completely different. Yeah, we were linked with McBurney for a while. I'm not sure if it was just purely because uh, of Potter coming yeah. across. Um, we were briefly linked with Daniel James as well, which obviously now would have been uh, a terrific signing. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's sort of interesting to see um, sort of similar... Um, sort of recruitment policies in that respect. But as you say, they're entirely different. So um, very interesting to sort of see both of those two 
uh, yeah. from the same sort of scouting perspective. I, w- I would have loved for us to sign him, regardless of who else we signed, to be honest. I, I've, I thought it was class every time I saw him for uh, for Brentford, which was obviously uh, several times. It's a little bit... Uh, uh, a little bit niggly, I think, in uh, in games with us. He, he certainly should have got a red card. Um... He's a massive house, yeah, massively, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, apologies if I'm not allowed to swear, but that's the best way I can, can describe him. Um, d- did it against Palace on Monday night, and maybe he's completely raw Palace fitter for it. Um, scored wow. and then just sort of shushed the family stand, and they've all kicked off at him for it. Um, so, no, that's the family stand. But he's, yeah, he, I remember against uh, Leeds, he scored, I think it might have been a penalty, I can't remember in front of the away and he just celebrates mm. uh, he knows how to wind a fan base up which he's probably learned quite well from Glenn Murray who um, sort of infamously has a bit of a stare that he does um, mm. when he scores in front of opposition fans um, so yeah that's, that's excellent to, to watch until it yeah. goes against you well we, we should all love him really because obviously yeah as you mentioned there he did score uh, I think he scored twice against Leeds in that game and, yes uh, yeah that was that was a big swing moment in the season We it was we, indeed we just won 3-0 uh, and then Leeds lost that one and that meant we could clinch promotion the uh, the next weekend so um, yeah we, we uh, to be honest I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's any sort of particular negativity uh, from United fans towards him but as you say he does he does always seem to score but that is generally because he is uh, he scores a lot of goals yeah pretty darn good striker yeah alright Liam thanks so much for your time I really appreciate it no worries it. at all that's uh, yeah that's fantastic so if people want to check you out on Twitter it is at Albion Analytics it is indeed and you have a podcast with the superb name Expected Goals I like I that I do indeed a yes yeah a bit, bit of a pun on, on the seagull and um, with it being our mascot um, and of course expected goals as it's now being brought in uh, sort of a generalised metric which is as far as sort of my sense of humour will go <laughs> well it's right on my street so I, uh, I very much appreciate that um, brilliant stuff thank you once again and uh, yeah good luck to Brighton for the uh, the rest of the season I think it'll be a really good game on uh, on Saturday very much looking forward to, to watching it hopefully we can get some more points but uh, either way I hope you uh, I hope you continue to go from strength to strength it's uh, yeah it's, it's, it's good to see that transfer transformation into a, an attacking entertaining side thank you very much I'll, I'll take full credit for that from a bright perspective <laughs> nice one take it easy no worries thank you bye bye